Well, as we began this series, we were kind of using these tools to help us understand that we have this idea that we've got authority over here right beside coal. We've been using those lights to help us understand that if we get under that light of authority, that's where God wants us to be. But we see that as rules and regulations. We see that as always being told what to do, when to do things, how to do things, and that is authority. And so we have a tendency to run away from authority and to run toward freedom. That's our tendency. But what we have discovered is our feeling of the closer I get to God and to the authority that he has established, the less freedom I have. That's how we feel. And so I want to run over here. More freedom, less authority. And as we've gone through this series, we've realized that really that's just a lie. It's a lie from the evil one because there is not a world with no authority. Freedom from authority, it just really does not exist because God actually establishes authority and we can't get away from it. Even if that person with authority, even if they are not a Christ follower, God has still handed them authority. Now, if any of that is confusing or frustrating, it remains to be frustrating for me, I would just encourage you to go back and listen again to week number one and two. It's on SoundCloud, also on Facebook Live. So in light of the scripture that we've talked about for the previous three weeks, uh, as we're kind of wrapping this thing up today, uh, what we've kind of seen, what we've discovered, or at least I, what I hope that we have discovered, is that it is impossible for us to be right with God at the same time as that we are wrong with authority. Um, it, it's not, we cannot be okay with Jesus if we're not okay with the people in authority that he has established. And what we've asked you to do over the course of the previous three weeks, and we'll really ask you to do again this morning, is to think through this very simple question in this series, which is, are we submitting to the authorities that God has placed over us? Are we submitting to the authorities that God has placed over us? Because our attitude toward authority today um, will affect every part of our lives, not only today, but tomorrow as well. Uh, but it really, hardly it goes so much deeper than just our relationships, maybe with law enforcement or with school, if we're a student, uh, with school or uh, in our place of work or with our families. It, it, that Really, that concept of submission to divine authority, submission to human authority, it goes deeper than just those relationships because our attitudes toward authority in effect, or, or will affect, I should say, our ability to do two very important things. And really, that's going to be our jumping off point. Our attitudes toward authority will affect our ability to, tr uh, to trust and submit. And in turn, because of that, it will affect our ability to influence others. And that word influence, that's kind of our key word today. Our inability to submit to divine authority, human authority, will affect our ability to influence others for the rest of our lives. Yeah. So let's start with trust first. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Uh, it is an important ingredient in our lives and in every relationship that we have. Now, untrustworthy people have trouble trusting 
people. And they're not the only ones, though, because if you have been damaged or hurt by another person, that also impacts your ability to trust other people. And here's why that's so important. Because if we cannot trust, then we find it impossible to maintain a long-term friendship with someone else or even a long-term relationship. The heart of our relationships, it simply is this, trust with other people. Now, we can also substitute the word faith. So trust or faith is not only an important part of your relationships with other people, but it's also a vital part, a central ingredient of Christianity. Now, the book of Proverbs um, from the Old Covenant, listen to what it talks about relating to trust. In Proverbs chapter 3, starting with verse 5, a very famous passage, you may be familiar, it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And it says, but don't lean on your own understanding. Don't depend on your own understanding. In other words, don't trust yourself really. Trust in God. In verse 6, seek his will in all you do. And it says, and he will show you the path to take. And this is a trust relationship. That is trust. That is faith. And following Jesus requires it. So when we look in the new covenant, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 says this, for we walk by faith. And that is trust. We walk by faith, by trust, not by sight. And this trust that Harley is talking about, it is naturally going to lead to a life of following Jesus. That's what we've been talking about for our fall trimester of small groups uh, for the last several weeks, and we'll continue to talk about for the next few weeks. It's this, this idea of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, and kind of what does, what, is, what does that look like? What does that look like in my life as I follow Jesus? And trust, it begins with that idea of trust or faith. That's first. And as we continue in that life of following Jesus, no matter where he leads us, um, no matter uh, where, where that finish line is, even if we can't see the finish line, even we, if we don't know where that leadership is going to take us, we simply are following. Um, because at the end of the day, we are trusting Jesus with our lives. Um, Paul, in his second letter to the church at Corinth, uh, he talks about what it means to trust or have faith in God in all things. And he talks about that in the fourth chapter. There's a couple of passages we're going to read. Um, verse 8, we are pressed on, and this is Paul's, again, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that he, excuse me, I'm sorry, so that uh, the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Then jumping forward to verse 17, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So in this verse 18, this is, this is kind of the key component. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. 
but the things we cannot see will last forever. That's trust. That's faith. We can't see them. We don't know the end of the story. We don't know where the finish line of our life is going to be. We don't know what life is going to hold as we follow Jesus, as we pursue him, as he leads and we follow. We don't know what that's going to look like. We just simply know we're following, we're trusting, and we're walking by faith for things that we cannot see. See, the heart of my relationship with God the heart of Harley's relationship, the heart of all of our relationship with God, it has to begin with trust. It has to begin with faith. We can only grow and transform into a new creation, which is the goal, as we learn to trust God more and more, that He can do anything, we can follow Him wherever He leads, and because He is trustworthy, and He's always going to be there for us, we We learn every day to trust and to follow. And something very interesting happens as we do that. As we learn to trust God and as we learn to follow Him, something very interesting happens. Because as we do that, as we learn to trust God, we ourselves begin to become more trustworthy. Yeah, so that's a snapshot of what trust is. That's just a snapshot. But as we trust God and as we trust the authority that he has established, that leads, that trust leads to submission. So that's our second hot word for today is submission. That's a a dirty word. That's a dirty word sometimes. If you've grown up in church, you've heard a whole lot possibly about submission um, and, and a lot of that focused on wives submit to your husband. So that's not where we're going with this today. um, we would need to teach a whole lot about that to, to help you understand it, to help me understand it, let me put it that way. But that's not where we're going. Here's where we're going. Submission is an attitude for everyone. I mean, for every single one of us in this worship theater this morning and listening on Facebook Live, that is for us. Submission is for us because it pleases God. Now, by definition, submission is simply this. It is obedience to authority. That's submission. And if we skip that life class on how to submit to authority, how to submit, if we skip that and we try to progress in life, maybe we skipped it as a child, maybe we skipped it as a teenager or a young adult, or if we skip learning to submit to authority, then something huge will always be missing from our lives. Now, growing in a relationship with God, as we learn about Him more, trust Him more, grow with Him more, it always leads to more and more and more submission. That's where it's headed. That's where it's going. It's growing in that direction. It's increasing submission. James, the brother of Jesus, actually talks a lot about this idea of submission and obedience. Uh, And in James, the the third chapter, in verse 17, James, again, he he talks about kind of what we're talking about this morning. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. All of the changes that God makes in my life, God makes in our lives collectively, once we reach that point where we're a follower of Jesus, all of the changes that come on that journey in one shape, form, or fashion will involve submitting 
to his authority, submitting to his divine authority in my life at every turn. James continues on uh, in the fourth chapter. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. So James here is saying that as we submit to God and as we submit to his authority, something's going to happen. And it's that we are going to begin drawing closer to him in a relationship. And as we draw closer to him in a relationship, it's going to change us. It has to. It has to. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, I know I have a tendency sometimes when I'm reading some scripture, and that right there, you just kind of jump over it. But there's actually a really huge statement in verse 8 that James is making because if we jump back into the original language that it was written in, which the New Testament was written in Greek, and we jump back and we read that out of the Greek translation in the original language, that passage actually calls for an immediate action step, and it is to root out the sinful attitude of pride. James is literally saying, get rid of pride from your life. Because pride is absolutely the opposite of submission. So just for a second, just kind of, and I'll do the same thing, we'll all do the same thing. Think introspectively into your life and think about areas in your life that you're kind of holding on to some pride, whether it be um, divine authority, the inability to submit to divine authority, the inability to submit to human authority, Think about those areas of pride that we have and purge them, get rid of them because it's in complete, the complete opposite of submission. Yeah, sure is. I hear your voice starting to crack. (laughs) Um, We want to conquer those things that are holding us back in life. Um, We, they hold us hostage, those things. We want to conquer those we want victory over those. We want to defeat them. We want to defeat things like, you know, we read through the Bible and it talks about lust. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we do. We need, I need to defeat that, you say to yourself. We want, to, we want victory over those things like lust and jealousy and all those things the Bible describes as immorality. We can throw in things even like gossip in there. Just really all that sin in our lives, we want victory over it. We want to defeat it. So we wake up in the mornings and we fight for victory over those things. A lot of times we come into a church, into a worship experience like this because there's something we want victory over. So we're looking for that victory. We're pursuing that victory. But really, I think as we've been studying this, we're realizing we have it backwards. Our struggle is not what holds us hostage. That thing that we need victory over, that's not what holds us hostage. Our struggle is really obedience. Our struggle is submission. God never intended for victory to be our goal, to be our object, but rather obedience, to pursue obedience. Because we're finding out victory is just a byproduct of obedience. And obedience really is submission to God and to the authority that he has established. 
And this trust that we've talked about leads to this kind of submission. And when we put trust together with submission, it leads to our last word we want to focus on. And as Cole said, really the big word, the main word for us today is influence. When we add trust together with submission, we're left with, we come up with influence. So if we have the right perspective on the authority that that God has established, you know, a right perspective of authority is going to create in our lives influence. But if we have a wrong perspective of authority, it's going to create the opposite. So let me describe that if I can. If you're like me, we desire to see our children become friends with God. And we desire our friends around us to become friends with God, to have a relationship with Jesus. That's our desire. And when we look around at our children's lives or our friends' or family's lives, and we begin to see habits that we know can quickly overtake them and can gain control over their lives, we don't like that. I mean, we want them to be free from any of those things that can hold them hostage, from any of those habits or addictions or just just things that can latch onto their lives. We're like, we don't want that. We want them to be free. And so we tell them the way. We say, listen, there is a way. Jesus can help you get freedom. We tell them the way. And we even point the, to the way. He is the way. He's the, tr- the way, the truth, the life. The, you know, that's the way. We tell them, we point to them, but so often we have no influence with them. And sometimes, sometimes it's because we don't have any influence to leverage. We don't. And here's the reason why. Sometimes it's because we have been involved in some things ourselves. And those very people that we're trying to point to Jesus have seen us playing around with some junk. They've seen it. They have seen us where we were disobedient and we rebelled against God's authority or the authority that he has established. And perhaps in their mind, as we're telling them and pointing them, trying to point them in the right direction, perhaps in their mind, they're thinking, God can't be so great after all. He can't be so great if those who claim to be Christians won't really submit to them, to him themselves. So if we jump back into scriptures, we've already heard from Paul and we've heard from James. Now let's hear what Peter says about the topic, an apostle of Jesus, somebody that actually walked with Jesus for a period of time, probably every single day. And Peter says in verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord. Every authority, not some, not most, all. All authority has been placed in that position by God. So submit to it. And when we do submit, when we we do take that step, even to human authority, Peter goes on and he tells us what is going to happen as a result of our submission. Verse 15, he says, 
For it's God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good things. That's a pretty weighty statement. That's a pretty weighty verse. Um, I, I know many people can relate to this, uh, what, what I'm about to say. If you've been, you've lived very long at all, you may have found yourself falling into some habits or into uh, some circles that possibly you didn't need to be in, you didn't want to be in, and, and through the grace of God and through uh, maybe some people in your life, y- you, you went in a different direction and, and you made a change and you began to be obedient and you began to submit to divine authority and to human authority. But what always happens is that group that maybe you were with previously or prior, the attitude is, ah, they really haven't changed. Nah, I don't believe that. They're, they're the same person that they always was. It's hard to change the opinion of people. But Peter here is saying, look, do God's will and you will silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Because when we make a change in our life, as we continue on that path, something happens. People begin to notice. And when people begin to notice that we've made a change and that that change isn't just fleeting and doesn't, you know, doesn't immediately... I just hit my microphone. Sorry about that. I got a little excited. <laughs> and, and it's not just a fleeting change, but it's a lifelong pursuit. Another interesting thing happens, and that is that influence, our influence toward other people begins to grow. As we're obedient to authority, it's amazing how now we have been granted the ability, the authority, and the influence to point people toward the gospel. As we find ourselves submitting to the divine authority of God and to the human authority of the people that he has established on this earth, we now have the ability and the influence to point people toward the cross that we didn't have before. Because Otherwise, our words are empty. Now, I'm going I'm to say something to you, and I don't want it to let your head expand beyond what it already is, okay? We good? Thumbs up? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Okay. Harley's a good teacher. You good? All right. Harley's a good teacher. He, he's very eloquent. He's a very good communicator. He does an excellent job of communi- communicating sometimes complicated uh, 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 truths from Scripture, And he does a great job every week. Maybe not every week, but most weeks. He does a great job uh, communicating. He's very eloquent. He's very easy to listen to. Excellent teacher. But eventually, if Harley's life and Harley's, uh, the the journey that he's on, and if his inability to um, submit to divine authority, submit to human authority, the way he acts, the way he reacts in situations. The react gets us, doesn't it? It's the react. The way he reacts, if it doesn't line up with the things that he says, eventually, no matter how good of a teacher he is, you're going to stop listening. I'm going to stop listening. (laughs) Because if we do not practice what we're talking about here, eventually our words become empty. Because our lives are screaming something very, very different. They're screaming pride and they're screaming arrogance. I've got a a quick story. I'm going to try to make it quick anyway. I'm going to do my best to make it quick. Um, Kind of to illustrate the point that we're trying to make here about how a life lived submitting to divine authority, submitting to human authority. 
over days, weeks, months, maybe even years can make a difference in a person's ability to influence a group of men and thereby potentially saving thousands of lives. June the 5th, 1944. If anybody is a history person in here, that date... June 6, 1944, for if you want to be specific. If you're a history buff in here, June the 6, 1944 should do something to you. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, you're probably hollering out right now. June 6, 1944, anybody? D-Day, somebody said it. D-Day. The invasion of the Allied forces on the northern coast of France at Normandy for the, at the attempt of opening a western front to uh, remove not Nazi Germany from France and eventually all of Europe. France has been occupied, all of continental Europe has been occupied since uh, early fall of 1940. And so for about four years, Nazi Germany has had free reign over the continent of Europe. And finally, after a lot, a lot of planning and preparation and several attempts to actually execute this plan, Operation Overlord, uh, to actually... um, execute this plan, which had been had postponed, had been postponed, had postponed. Finally, the date, June the 6th, 1944, was chosen. It's going to happen. We're going to liberate France, the Allied powers, under the uh, direction of Allied Commander Dwight David Eisenhower, eventual President of the United States. It's finally going to happen. June the 5th, 1944, 13,000 um, Allied paratroopers There's going to be a pic right there on the screen. 13,000 Allied paratroopers are loaded onto 1,000 planes, some planes, some gliders, for the purpose of being dropped behind enemy lines, to parachute behind German lines, uh, behind the beaches of Normandy. And they had a couple of objectives. One objective was to cut some communication lines. Another objective was to uh, gain control of very important strategic transportation routes so that once the main invading force came onto the beach, they would have easier access to inland France. So 13,000 troops, 1,000 planes for the purpose of being dropped, parachuted. When I say dropped, I don't literally mean dropped. Parachuted behind enemy lines. This is late on the evening of June the 5th. Early morning hours of June the 6th, 1944. Of that 13,000 troops, about 6,600 were from the 101st Airborne Division um, in the United States Army. First time any of these individuals, these men, had ever jumped out of an airplane in combat setting. They'd done it in training, but they have never done it in a combat setting. So this is... This is a big deal. This is pretty significant. I mean, set the scene for a second. You're a paratrooper being dropped behind enemy lines. If the invasion does not go well, you're probably in trouble. 6,600 roughly from the 101st Airborne Division. The paratroopers who are supposed to be dropped behind the lines at Utah Beach will actually suffer some high casualties. Um, the process, here's, there's a picture on the screen. The, um, the process of dropping the paratroopers behind enemy lines went horribly. It, it, it was just an absolute mess. People missed their drop zones. Uh, there, there was just a ton of problems that went on in these early morning hours of June 6, late June 5, early June 6, 1944. Just did not go well at all. And of the 101st Airborne, those 6,600 roughly men, um, 139 of those troops were from Easy Company. It was the name of the, the group, the battalion, Easy Company. And in the early moments 
of this operation, probably actually around 1.15 a.m. on June 6, 1944, the plane that was carrying practically the entire uh, officer corps of Easy Company, the plane, their plane was shot down, and everyone on board was killed. And so this, this, platoon, this, uh, this, this company is left practically leaderless with the exception of one officer that is remaining. He was the commander of the 2nd Platoon. He was a 1st Lieutenant. His name was Dick Winters. He was a 1st Lieutenant. So if you're a, kind of a military person, you know 1st Lieutenant, not a very high-ranking individual. Uh, just barely, you know, 1st Lieutenant, just above a 2nd Lieutenant, a little bit above a Staff Sergeant, Corporal. You know, you're, you're not very high on the chain of command as a 1st Lieutenant. And he is all that remains of Easy Company's Officer Corps. So of the 6,000 um, troops that were part of the 101st, only about 1,000 landed on target. Now this mission was quickly going wrong. Lieutenant Winters was able, after he landed, to scrape together about just 13 members of the 139 members of Easy Company. And with those 13 men... Lieutenant Winters began to lead. And as it turns out, always led, always respected authority. And as it turns out, he always led from the front in order to accomplish impossible tasks. So as the sun comes up on June 6, 1944, we have 13 men being led by a first lieutenant from Easy Company. These are not good odds to say the least. Lieutenant Winters has a very small attacking force, obviously. Again, there are objectives, uh, several objectives, but um, the main objective for these paratroopers is to gain control of some causeways. Specifically, we're talking about the area of Utah Beach. Utah Beach had four causeways um, that were going to be the main exit points off of the beach into inland France. And the paratroopers, their main responsibility, get control of these causeways. That way, the majority of our landing force can now have, uh, I don't want to say free access, but better, a little safer access into inland France. Things, again, had not gone well. Lieutenant Winters, first Lieutenant Winters, has his 13 men, and he leads. But the interesting thing that happens is those 13 men followed. Anybody can lead, but these men followed. You say, well, how do you know, how do you know that First Lieutenant Dick Winters lived the life of submission to authority and obedience, et cetera, et cetera, because if he hadn't, of these men would not have followed. There's no way. They wouldn't have followed. They wouldn't have followed this man into what they walked into. Because that group of 13 men would lead an attack on a German platoon of 50 men that were guarding a battery of four German howitzers. Laying down an absolute barrage of fire upon one of the four causeways, causeways number, causeway number two. They would attack this platoon of 50 men, they would subdue them, they would take control of these four German batteries, and in the process... They would actually capture a map that showed all of the gun emplacements along the Normandy Beach, which was very useful for the eventual invading force. With 13 men, 
Lieutenant, first Lieutenant Dick Winters at the front defeated a German platoon of 50 men, destroyed four guns, captures a map revealing all the artillery batteries around the beaches there on D-Day. Because, not because he led, but because he had the ability to influence people. Because of the choices that he made in the days, weeks, months, maybe years prior to D-Day. If his choices prior to D-Day had been different, how does that change American history? Because if you know anything about the invasion of Normandy, you'll know that actually casualties at Utah Beach were relatively low in comparison to the other beaches. And a big part of that was as a result of the heroics of this group of men because Causeway 2 became the main exit point for the Allied forces off of Utah Beach into inland France. And it was as a result of the leadership of First Lieutenant Dick Winters and the 13 men that chose to follow him. That was a very simple first heroic act for Dick Winters. But it wouldn't be the last. I mean, there's actually many more. I mean, he, he's, he's a very highly decorated individual. But without Dick Winters' ability to influence those 13 men and to lead them into insurmountable, deadly obstacles and their willingness to follow, what changes? How many thousands of lives were changed, were saved, I should say, and changed, as a result of decisions that he had made leading up to D-Day. He was a quiet, unassuming man, but he submitted to authority, and as a result, he was given authority, and he influenced men to do the impossible. Yeah, and now we see that influence, and we look around ourselves today, and we, we see Jesus as the hope for the world. We see Jesus as the hope for freedom from addiction, hope for freedom for a new life. We look around and we see Jesus even here in Stuttgart as the hope for the problems in Stuttgart and for the problems in our families and for the problems in our streets and our workplace and our schools. And yet, it still requires influence, like the influence that we were just told about of Dick Winters. In order for us to walk the world around us to the cross of Jesus, where we believe their lives can be changed forever, it is going to require influence. But today, today, current statistics tell us this, today, 48% of the United States population claims to be a Christian. Of that group, of that 48% who claims to be a Christian, of that group, only a half of a half percent, and here's what that means, 0.04% of those people in the United States who claim to be a Christian do these three things read their Bible daily. They believe, secondly, that the Bible is the uh, absolute God's Word. And then they believe this third thing, that the Bible is the standard for every choice and decision that we make. Did you hear what I, I said? Only 
0.04% of the population who claims to be a Christian believes that. And here's what that means. Out of every 2,500 people who call themselves a Christian in the United States, only one out of every 2,500 will read their Bible every day and believe it. Just one. No wonder that the people around us are looking at us and saying, I don't need your Jesus. I mean, look what he's done in your life. A big nothing. If we're going to be changed ourselves and lead other people toward a changed life, it is going to require us to have influence on other people. But it's going to happen when we are obedient to authority and then we're going to be able to point people toward the gospel. It is so important. If we don't do that, if we don't, then our words to them are empty because our lives are screaming something else. It requires influence if we're going to see lives changed. And influence, it requires us to trust God and then to submit to God and His authority and the authority that He has established. And when we do that consistently, influence is the result. Now, when it comes to submission to authorities and the authorities that God has placed in our lives, here's where all this comes down today as we end this series. We're going to say this, practice makes perfect. We are asking you and us, we're, gonna, we're doing it too, to practice serving and submitting. Eventually, as we do, we'll be placed in positions of authority. And we will be under authority, under that light. So we're going to encourage you to practice submitting to authority at home. Let's start at home. Practice submitting to authority at home. And your authority will grow. And your influence will grow. Practice that. And then let's practice submitting at work. And when we do practice submitting at work, our authority at work will grow. And our influence will grow. Students, practice submitting to the authority at school and watch your authority grow. Yes, your authority, even at school, it will grow as you submit to authority and your influence will grow. Practice submitting to authority, even here inside of Stuttgart Harvest Church. And listen, do that and watch your authority and your influence grow. That's where all this is simply leading today. As we learn to trust God, we can submit to God and His authority and the authorities that He has established. And when we do that consistently, our authority will grow and our influence will grow. And we will have earned the right, as Cole said, to point people to Jesus. Join me as we pray. Jesus, we see you as the hope for the world. So often I get in the way of that. 
So often I refuse to submit to authority and I send the message to the world that I'm enough. My pride gets in the way. Arrogance can be seen by others. Not a life being changed. God, I'm asking you to help. Not just to us, but so important because influence comes from submission. Influence to see our friends and our family and our children connect eternally with you, Jesus. And may we practice submitting to you right now, this very moment. Jesus, many of us are shouting that we want your will to be done your way, not my way. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.